Hello, everyone. Welcome to Radically Loved Radio. I wanted to create a place where people can go to to get inspired, get motivated, or find some clarity and get tools to create a radically loved life. I will do my best to provide information on a variety of subjects, including yoga, holistic health, life coaching, spirituality, meditation, and overall mindful living. Each episode will bring you some of the world's best spiritual leaders, entrepreneurs, yoga teachers, coaches, along with some of my closest friends, and we will talk about their life experiences and journeys to create something more out of their lives and how they continue to grow to make that happen. Thanks for listening. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Radically Loved. I'm joined by a very special guest, as you may have heard, Jonathan Fields. Thank you so much for joining us today. It is my pleasure to be here. I'm so excited to just dive into wherever we end up going with you. You know, the other thing I was going to say, we were just chatting before we started, but the cool thing about being in the studio was having the clap track, which I miss. You know, I know you can add it in post, but it's just, it's so much fun to have the guest hear it. So (laughs) we'll have to pretend like we have a huge audience just clapping in the background. Jonathan Fields, I've been, I don't want to say huge fan. I'm sure you hear this all the time, but I actually have been listening to your podcast. We started the podcast back, this podcast, Radically Loved. We started this in 20, at the end of 2015. And it wasn't until 2016 that we actually started to, you know, have these conversations. And then we took a hiatus and then we kind of towards the end of 2016 came back on and we've been doing it ever since. But because your The Good Life podcast, which you host, was one of the first podcasts I listened to that really inspired me to do this. Mm. So thank you. Yeah, no, it's, my, it's, it's so nice to hear that. And um, I'm a big admirer of your work also. So it's, it's fun to, you know, because we all learn so much from each other. Right. And it, it's like there's never a person that you meet on the street or in a store or wherever it may be. You can't learn from it. Doesn't matter. Somebody's been doing something that you've been doing for years before you or years after you. It's just like, so I love listening to, to everybody and like your lens. And you and I, I don't even know if you know this, but we have actually a shared history because I have this, I have this sort of almost in a past life now, a history in the yoga world. Um, <gasps> so yeah. What? How did I not know this? It was a long time ago, but I actually, so the day before 9-11, I was living in New York City, married with a new home, a three-month-old baby, and I signed a six-year lease for a floor in a building to open what I thought, you know, wanted to be like, you know, a great yoga center in New York City. You know, then woke up the next morning and it was 9-11. It was like one of the most horrific, devastating, emotional times. But we had this decision to make. And I said, you know, the city needs this more than ever. We need a place for healing and community and movement and breath. So we went ahead and we opened it eight weeks later. And I, I owned the studio and I taught for seven years until I eventually sold the studio as I sort of started to evolve into a different place. But yoga is definitely, wow. it's in my bones also. So we have that shared history. Oh, wow. That's so incredible. And it's interesting because that's around the time where I started to really get into yoga and looking for studios and looking for that sanctuary. It was right after I graduated high school that year. That's so wild. I love that. So there's so many different avenues. I've got a full list of questions here. And I just, 
you have a new book out, which I received. And thank you so much. It was wrapped. I got a note. This was so... I mean, I, I had a show. I was showing Tori. I was like showing... <laughs> I, I talked to one. I was FaceTiming one of my friends. And I'm like, look at how amazing this... This was wrapped. I received this package in the mail, you guys. And it was wrapped. And there was a handwritten note. And it just... It took me back to being in that place back in the day where you would receive letters in the mail or handwritten notes. And it really just, it creates a different resonance with different connection. It just felt so heartfelt. Do you know what I mean? So thank you so yeah. much for this. And oh, I'm, holding this, I'm holding this book up. So I don't know, those of you that are listening can't see, but the name of the book is called Sparked, Discover Your Unique Imprint for Work That Makes You Come Alive. I'm a huge fan of uh, of almost going analog to a certain extent these days when it comes to relationships, you know, especially now, because right over the last 18 months, so much of our conversation has moved into the digital space. And I'm kind of like, okay, so I actually, you know, I got, I got my first two cases of the books from my publisher, which as an author, you're kind of like, ooh, like, let me actually see it. And all I wanted to do was turn around and just give it to awesome people, you know, keep one or two for myself. And the wrapping, by the way, so my wife, Stephanie, is my business partner and um, her titles have changed over the years, but for a large chunk of it, it, it was the director of delight. <laughs> um, oh, wow. And um, so we, you know, she's the one who came up with the beautiful wrapping. And then I just wrote a quick little note to you, but I, I so agree. I think we've lost like that art of getting letters or something like this physical object that just, it transmits something that is so much more, transmits a level of, I almost feel like intentionality, love, whatever it may be, that really, I think we feel in our bones. Yes, I totally agree. You know, I I was just having this conversation about trying to get that human connection because I feel like with the gift or not gift of social media, sometimes we can get that, but it's still a disembodied experience. There is no human to human, unless you're having a call or a face, like I was saying, I was FaceTiming with one of my friends. I tried to be as engaged as possible because I was for many years, the person that just wanted to text. I'm like, just text me, you know? And then it just, now I'm, I'm the voice note person or the FaceTime person, especially after this year we've had. So I, I kind of want to just backtrack a little bit for you because it has been such an intense time. Were you writing this book during the pandemic? I was. It was really kind of strange in a lot of ways. So the book has been in my head for a number of years, ever since we started down the body of work around you know, trying to develop a set of archetypes for meaningful work and, and the assessment and all the stuff we built around it. But the book was kind of lingering there and I, and I kind of knew what it needed to be or I had a sense for it, but I wasn't writing it. And then I had actually written the book proposal for the book six months earlier. This would have been in 2019, probably like early, mid 2019. And we were just sitting on it because we're kind of like, if things don't feel quite right, the market's not right for it. And then uh, I called my agent and uh, it was early February and things were starting to get a little bit wonky in this country, but still, you know, we're, we were like, oh, we think we'll be okay. And he's like, I think the market is right. So we took the book to market. He sent it out to publishers the last week of February. I'm in New York at that point, And that's where I was living for 30 years. And we had thankfully a lot of interest in it. We had the first week, I think it was the first week in March when you know, it was sort of like back-to-back meetings with publishers. And you know, on a Monday where 
we're hugging hello on a Tuesday, we're shaking hands on a Wednesday, we're kind of elbow bumping. By the end of the week, we're bowing uncomfortably from either side to the conference table. And then the book sold the next week. And I have been heads down, like through this whole window working on this. And it's really interesting because as things changed on the ground, you know, I think the intention of what I wanted to create with the book and with the body of work evolved a bit too, as I started to really see what was happening. And also it was interesting for me because fundamentally it's a book that is about helping you see yourself as clearly as possible and understand yourself as clearly as possible and be seen and have language to share with others. But it's also a book about hope and possibility. And in the early days when I was writing it, and remember, I was in New York during the worst, worst, worst times. I didn't know if there was a legitimate reason to have hope or possibility. We just didn't know where, where this was going. And then as things started to shift and we've gone through all these different, I feel like we've all gone through like, you know, 18 years and 18 months now. It's like emotionally and the way that it lands on us, it would sort of change the way that I thought about what I wanted to do with the book and and how I hoped it might land. And the fact that it's coming out now at a time where so many people are deep into the existential questions and hopefully it's a tool that really helps them reflect on them in a meaningful way it kind of means the world to me. Yeah. Wow. That is so deep. And I can completely connect to everything that you're saying. I am always fascinated by the idea of creating something hopeful for the world when you don't feel hopeful. Yeah. I'm so curious for you what that process was like as you're, I mean, for you, what it's like, what came first, the chicken or the egg writing it maybe helped pull you out of that space or you had to pull yourself out of that space first before writing it? Yeah, that is such an interesting question. And I, I've kind of reflected on it in, in a couple of different ways. So the centerpiece of the book is really, it's a set of archetypes I call sparkotypes, which helps identify your impulse for work that makes you come alive. So my sparkotype or my really strongest impulse is what I call the, the maker. So I wake up in the morning, I open my eyes and I'm like, what can I make? You know, it's all about making ideas manifest. And that can be digital, it can be physical objects, it can be whatever it is. So for me, interestingly enough, the fact that in the very beginning of this, I was given the opportunity to go deep into that mode, into that just pure creation mode. And the particular type of creation that I was doing didn't require a ton of external input. I didn't have to work collaboratively with a big team. I could largely go into my cave. It just kind of worked out where the circumstances allowed me to go to that place. And this is a conversation I've been having actually with a a lot of people recently. What I realized was that initially the thought and the research we've done around these, these, the sparkotypes was, you know, when you do this work, you have more of the feeling of meaning and flow and excitement and energy and express potential and purpose. But what I started to realize during this window is that when you're going through something which is profoundly groundless and anxiety provoking and emotional, you don't really have a tether that for some reason, when you actually can allocate more of your energy to doing the work that aligns with this innate impulse, it gives you this sense of grounding that it's sort of like, okay, so I can't control the world around me, but in whatever way, shape I can, I'm able to do work that feels like it's the work that I'm here to do. Mm -hmm. It may be compromised. I may not be able to do it on the level that I was doing it before, 
but I can still find that channel that for me, it did something. It allowed me this sort of grounding sensibility through all of this that then fed the creative process that then allowed me to even feel more sort of stable and centered. And then, so it becomes this cycle. And I thought maybe that was just me, you know, during this time. And then I start to share the experience with different people. And they're like, no, actually I had a really similar experience. I think I was probably initially sharing it with a whole lot of uh, introverted makers. So we had a pretty, which is me, like I'm introverted and, same, I, and I'm, I'm a maker. But then I started asking other people who I knew had a different impulse, a different spark type. And they're like, no, you know, I wasn't able to do it the whole time, but I found that when I did drop into that place, it wasn't just about coming alive. It was about coming home. And during this window, that was such a powerful experience to have. And we haven't done any research on that, but I'm actually now curious on seeing if we can identify correlations between this work and actually a sense of just feeling more grounded and centered and access, yes. accessing equanimity. Yes. I mean, that is one of the biggest things that we are missing right now, just collectively, is that tether that you're talking about, our ability to feel grounded in something. And I love this idea of sparkotypes. And I'm curious, how did that come about? How did you find these different types of archetypes for people? I mean, I know that everybody works in a different way and, you know, there's Myers-Briggs and there's human design. There's all these like different ways to connect with people. But I'm just curious for you, like what, if you can share what, what the spark types are. Yeah. So, you know, you mentioned a couple of other big assessments and bodies of work that have been out there and so many of them are great. You know, they all add something to our understanding. I'm, I'm a huge fan of investing in self-discovery and self-knowledge, self-awareness. So think all these tools add, like they, they come at it from a different angle. You know, they add a little bit, a puzzle piece here and a puzzle piece there. And um, I never would have started into this body of work had I seen what I was working on already out there. Cause I, I have no interest in, as a maker, one of the things that you, you tend to really not want to do is just replicate what's already been made. So if it's not something I felt was genuinely new, I had no interest in doing it. So what I started to realize is that for years, people had been asking me this question and, and that's what should I do with my life? But when they were asking me in particular, what they were really asking was, how do I find and do work that makes me feel alive? Because that's what we spend most of our waking hours doing, right? So I started really deepening into that question. I started wondering, you know, I said, okay, so there are 7.8 billion people out there in the world. Are there just 7.8 billion unique ways that like, you know, we would show up and, or are there a set of like identifiable, mappable underlying impulses, you know, five layers deep underneath all the surface level expression. So, you know, if you start with a job or a devotion or a role and you keep asking what's under that, what's under that, what's under that, what's under that, like, could we get to a set of impulses for effort? that were much more definable and universal. And I had no idea if that would be possible. But so I started asking those questions and I started distilling down. And over time, it distilled down to these 10 impulses for effort or for work that give us that feeling of being alive. And then once I identified those 10, I was like, oh, this is really interesting. So I started to realize that each one of the impulses also has a pretty common set of behaviors and tendencies and preferences that tend to wrap around it and form these archetypes. And just for the fun of it, I called them sparkotypes because you know, it's yeah. the archetype for work that sparks you. Yeah, I love it. And once I identified those, you know, I started thinking to myself, 
I started talking to a lot of people about this and, and learning a lot through just interacting with people. And then, you know, I said, this is really cool. I think there's something real here. And I think it maybe could help people. I want to actually work on these ideas at scale and see, you know, if I can validate them on a much bigger scale or invalidate them. I was sort of agnostic. I was like, let's see if it proves out or not. And also maybe along the way, could we create a tool that would be useful to people? So we spent most of 2018 building an assessment, this broker type assessment. And we put like smaller groups of people in, then bigger and bitter. And then eventually we came out of beta testing. We released it to the world. And since then, we've had over half a million people complete this assessment. We've wow. got like over 25 million data points and it's growing rat like thousands more every week. And people are sharing it because they're learning something valuable about themselves. And it's been really, really powerful. So eventually, you know, when we realize, okay, so we've got, there's something in this that's really powerful, that's exciting people and they're sharing it and we're learning a ton from the data. And then I just started gathering, you know, tons and tons of stories and use cases and and it, it became pretty clear that we had to build around these ideas and share them because this was a way to sort of take the seeds of an idea that started in my head just through observing what people were talking to me about over the years, building it, slowly testing, just always like, is this real? Is this real? Is this real? Let people tell me, you know, and it just started expanding and rippling bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Which is really funny though, as I'm sharing this with you, what keeps popping into my head is I never left yoga behind. Like this is my yoga. I'm not teaching asana anymore, you know, but fundamentally, like, what is it all about? If you think about the eight limbs, right? The classical practice is, well, you do the first four to six in preparation for the final two, for like those final two outer limbs. And while I may have left the first four behind as a teacher and as an an investigator and a maker, all of this to me is yoga. You know, it's deepening into the exploration of the human condition and how we can relieve suffering and see ourselves more clearly, you know, reveal, step beyond the veil of illusion and actually just be and love and breathe. Oh, I mean, so everything that you're saying is speaking directly into my soul. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Tonal. Today, we have a special testimonial from Tessa Tovar. Tessa, as a real-life Tonal user, what do you love the most about your Tonal? So this is Tessa. And actually, Rosie, before we met today, I was like, maybe she'll be late so I could squeeze in a Tonal workout. (laughs) So I love it. Jorge and I, my husband and I, we used to go to the gym diehard like five days a week. And then the pandemic hit and I bought him a tonal for Christmas, which by the way, made him cry. I've never seen Jorge cry over a present, but he like, he was like, I've never felt so loved. This is amazing. (laughs) I presented the tonal to him. Anyways, so I was going to do a tonal workout today and I just, I love Tony Horton. He's such a dork, but he's hilarious. He cracks me up. He's energetic and he's got this new 20 by 20. So it's 20 minutes for 20 days. You hit all of your muscle body groups. And actually I'm going to go do that right now after hanging up with you. Do it. And there you have it. A real life experience of somebody who has a tonal. 
Tonal helps you train smarter so you can get stronger faster. It's like having an entire gym and personal trainer in your home. You can now get financing for Tonal as low as $63 a month, zero APR for four years. There's professional installers that will deliver and mount your Tonal safely and quickly so you can spend your energy working out. They also offer a three-year limited warranty. Try Tonal today, the smartest home gym for 30 days in your home. Tonal is so confident you'll love it. They offer a full money back guarantee. You can start at $63 a month with zero interest over 48 months. So don't miss this offer. Visit www.tonal.com and for a limited time, get $100 off when you use the promo code ROSIE. That's www.tonal.com. Use promo code ROSIE. You know, sometimes you just want a snack that's crunchy and tasty and isn't necessarily a chip, but also has all the health benefits that you need for your body, then Uprising Food is for you. Uprising's mission is to liberate all of us from a fundamentally broken food system that's stealing our health. The real devil is the snowball effect of silent inflammation. That's the reason why I'm talking about fiber. They have cracked the code on healthy bread, healthy treats. You simply can't find something like this healthy that tastes this good, that's this fresh. Only two net carbs per serving, six grams of protein, and nine grams of fiber. Uprising Food covers paleo, clean keto, the simple low-carb, to high fiber and dairy-free to grain-free lifestyle. All Uprising products are baked with real superfood ingredients, almonds, MCT oil, apple cider vinegar, egg white, psyllium husk, and olive oil. It all comes down to taste though, and healthy foods are littered with broken promises. Uprising has nailed the taste factor on both their sourdough-esque cubes and the crunch factor in their newly launched Freedom Chips, which are absolutely delicious. They taste like these old school rye chips I used to eat when I was little. Uprising is offering our listeners $10 off of the starter bundle. That includes two superfood cubes and four pack of Freedom Chips to try. Go to uprisingfood.com forward slash loved and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's U-P-R-I-S-I-N-G food.com forward slash loved to get $10 off of your first purchase of the starter bundle. A special shout out to Uprising Food for keeping us healthy with quality ingredients, freshness, and taste. And now back to our show. It's so true. And I, I love to live there. I really do love to live there and to be in that space as much as I can. I'm curious for you, like, with all the studies and research that you've done for the people that are really going through a hard time right now, especially with pandemic, maybe they lost their business, lost their, their job, or they lost somebody because of, you know, COVID that person perhaps is feeling blocks from finding that uniqueness or being able to connect to that aliveness So what would you say to those people? Like, what is the way to move through that? Mm, Yeah, that is a big question. A couple things come to mind. First, allow yourself to feel it. So um, a dear friend of mine, Megan Devine, has has lived in the world of grief. Not that she's sort of like living in a state of persistent Mm. grief, but she lost her husband in a freak accident in front of her at a pretty young age. And she's a therapist. So she knew all the tools. She knew the skills. She knew like all the things to process grief. 
And none of it was helping her in any way, shape or form. And she kind of said, I need to throw this all out and start over and really understand how do we do this in a way that is truly helpful. You know, a lot of the old models of the classic stages and things like that, which so many people are going through right now, whether it's the loss of a person in your life or the loss of a model of the world and the way Mm -hmm. that it was, or the loss of a job, you know, grief is touching all of our lives in some way, shape or form right now. And one of the things that she shared with me early on, she said, you know, what everybody around you wants you to do and they keep telling you is they want to help you get to the other side. They want to help you get through it. Like, how do you, how do you get over it? And just like, how do you get to a place where you, you move on or you go back to things the way things were? And she's like, you know, A, there is no going back. There's no stepping back into that place. You are forever changed by an experience like this. All of us are, mm-hmm. you know, so it's really about, okay, so what are we stepping forward into? What are we creating with every breath, with every time we open our eyes in the morning, with every interaction that we take, with every intention that we do or don't make, but also allowing yourself to feel this moment rather than saying, my job is to get out of this place as fast as humanly possible. And I need to fix myself. Allowing yourself to say, this is brutal. This is not what I asked for. I didn't see it coming and I don't know how long it's going to last. And I really just wanted to be over it. Like we all want that. And at the same time, a lot of people are kind of saying, buck up, you know, make yourself as happy as you can rather than saying, you know what, this is brutal and it's real. And it's okay to allow yourself to feel the truth of that, you know, to be in that space. I think one of the things that helps you be in that space is to not be in that space alone. Mm. And I, that's one been one of the hardest things about like this recent season is that so many people have felt the sense of isolation. And literally, and sometimes people have to isolate themselves from everybody else in their lives. And I think that is, that's just profoundly compounded what's happening in the world. So I think you know, part of it is allowing yourself to just feel what's going on, to open to it and say, this is real. And it's okay if I'm really sad. It's okay if I'm, if on any given day, I'm dropped to my knees, you know, and I don't have to be a different way right now, you know, and I'm also not alone in this that I'm, I'm here with so many other people and to give yourself permission to be vulnerable and to open to inviting other people into your life who you trust and who you know are there to support you and opening those doors. You know, I th- so I think on a macro scale, you know, the psychology says like that's, that to me feels like the starting point is to own, own the truth of this experience, to own the truth of how you're feeling, to know that it's actually okay to feel those things and to allow people into the experience with you who can help just be with you, not necessarily fix you or say, okay, here are the five things to do to stop feeling this way, but literally just walk beside you. And a lot of that you know, has been things that were taught to me through my friend, Megan. If you get more granular and you think about that question in the context of the work that we're doing right now, like you said, a lot of people have lost their jobs. A lot of people have pulled out of the workforce. A lot of women are not in the workforce right now or have stepped out of it, sometimes voluntary, sometimes involuntarily, sometimes out of a sense of values because they feel like they are the primary caretaker in a family or a parent or extended family. And so there's a, a huge amount of inequity in what's happened right now in the context of work as well. And there's also an imbalance in terms of access and resources and privilege. you know. And I think it's really important that we all, we honor that. 
you know, we are not all equally equipped to step in and out of what's going on right now in the context of work. I think like the starting point is just owning that that is the reality on the ground, you know, and then sort of saying, okay, in my unique circumstance right now, given what is available to me and what's not, what is possible for me? So for me, I love the fact that at least this body of work that, that we've created is accessible and available to anybody. Like anybody can actually, one of the reasons that we created the assessment and we put it online and we made it freely available to anyone instead of gating it or charging money is because I feel like that fundamental level of knowledge, it should be available to anyone. So you can start with that, but also really start with the process of contemplation and reflection and self-discovery and say, okay, so this is a brutal place. I didn't ask to be here, but I'm here now. And as I reimagine the different parts of my life and work among them, what matters to me? Like, and who am I in the context of this? What do I need to get from it? Whereas so often we ask, like, you know, like, what am I giving out to the world? And really understanding what is the feeling that I need to get from this thing called work as I step back into it. And that's a process that anybody can embrace right now you know, self-discovery and reimagining. And then you start to say, okay, how do I start to step back into that? Or how do I recreate it? And if you're not employed right now and you want to step back into the workforce, then you you sort of start scanning and saying, okay, what are my values? What are my sparker types, these impulses, whatever else, whatever the metrics are that really matter to me? Like, how can I now start to scan and understand what to research, what conversations to have, who to talk to, and eventually what to say yes or no to in a way that's just that is more likely to actually have you step back into a place that where you're doing something that doesn't just pay the bills which is important completely important but also in some way shape or form brings meaning and purpose and joy and energy and excitement back into your experience even in the smallest levels you know if they weren't there before and if you're in something if you are working if you're gainfully employed right now um, looking at that thing and saying, okay, I still say, do the entire same process of self-discovery, right? Because what a lot of people are realizing right now is even if you have a job and it's, and even if it's paying you great money and awesome benefits, a lot of people are like, wow, I've been doing this for 20 years and banked a nice amount of savings. I feel like, you know, financially, like things are going pretty good, but I'm waking up in the morning and I'm doing this thing and I'm spending, I'm watching the years go by. And the thing that I'm doing is not in any meaningful way nourishing me beyond that value of providing financial security, which like I said, it matters, Yeah. but is that the bargain that you want to make for the next 20, 30, 40 years of your life? And a lot of people are waking up and saying, no, nah, actually no. Like they've realized that life is tender and sometimes short and fleeting. And I also don't advise people to just blow up whatever they're doing <laughs> if they have a job. Don't do that. If you're if you're 19 years old and you got nothing riding on it, whatever, you know, do what you need to do. But you know, like we're like, you know, if you're a little bit older and you have family or responsibilities, that's a brutally hard thing to navigate. But the beautiful thing is there is so much that you can do once you get clarity around what actually fills you up and empties you out. There's so much reimagining and reinventing that you can do within the scope of work that before you really understood these things about yourself you had no idea how to actually recreate the thing that you're doing in a way that gave you so much more. But once you're better informed, once you really understand what fills you and empties you, you can look back out at that thing you're doing and saying, huh, so what are the activities and the tasks and the processes I'm doing every day? What are the tools or the technologies that I'm using on a regular basis and the processes and 
what are the topics or the focus areas that I'm diving into? And in all those different domains, is there some way for me to kind of like reimagine, to do a little bit more of this or a little bit more of that, even in tiny little ways? And inevitably what people find is that, yes, there are tons of little ways that you can start to do more of the things that would allow you to express your sparkotype, this impulse and all the broader elements of self-discovery too, in the work that you're doing. And you can end up becoming so much more fulfilled in a way that very often nobody even thought was possible beforehand. And that was a really long, like semi-rant, but I hope there was some oh, value no, I loved. I literally, <laughs> I felt like I was in a coaching session just now. I just was like, just taking it all in. And I'm sure everybody listening really is take, there was so much that you said that I think is so helpful in the state that we're in now, and especially for those specific people that are going through this. I 100% agree with you. And it's so interesting to me to be able to think about it in a way that's going to bring something in as opposed to feeling like you need to let everything go. To me personally, that's a scary thing to think about now because I was that person, you know, when I decided to quit my job and go teach yoga, everybody thought it was the worst idea. I was giving up health insurance, 401k, all of the things. And it didn't matter to me. I didn't care because I wanted to wake up every morning and be happy. I wanted to just love what I, that was the thing that I told myself every day. I just want to wake up and love what I do every day. I just want to wake up every morning and love what I do. No matter where my career takes me, I just want to love what I do every day and wake up living every day to the fullest. I spent, and you know this, a little bit of my background, but I spent the first half of my life, like my first 15 years living in fear and being in fight or flight growing up in East LA, growing up in a gang riddled environment where there was constant, you had to be on alert constantly because that's just the environment that you're in. You don't know any better. You don't know what it's like to actually not be in fear. I always tell people, what's the saying? It takes 10,000 hours to become an expert. I'm like, I was an expert at being in fear because I spent so much of my life being in that state. And I think that once I went through my transformative journey and I, I got to this place where I decided I want to find that what makes me feel alive. I want to find that thing that's going to excite me about being here on this planet to be grateful for everything around me, to be able to be in the present moment and to be able to navigate the peaks and the valleys from a grounded and sustainable place. And I I really love that you everything that you said really spoke to that. So I, I definitely resonated with it. So, uh, thank you. Um, so can I ask you a question? <laughs> so with what you just shared, I'm, I'm curious, you know, you grew up in a place where sort of like hypervigilance was your norm. Mm-hmm for a lot of your younger life. When you step into a moment like we're in right now, do you feel any of that returning to you as as a state? Oh man, I'm like, how much time do we have? (laughs) You know, interestingly enough, I hadn't been back in that place until last year when the riots started happening, happening Mm. after what happened with George Floyd. So that, when everything started to, go in that direction here in LA, it took me back to that place as I was watching the news and I was just feeling the energy of the city. We're in in a lockdown. 
it just started to feel very uneasy and trying to bring in all of those tools that I know about grounding and about knowing that, okay, we need to be able to come together. Let's, let's do whatever we need to do to care for ourselves so that we don't go into a panic attack, etc. But actually what took me deep into that place of hypervigilance was getting COVID. I mean, so mm -hmm. my husband and I Oh, I said my husband, he's my, we're engaged, whatever. It's a long story. We've been together for 18 years. Everybody on the podcast knows it, but my partner, my life partner, my soulmate, we ended up getting COVID and we got so sick. I mean, so, so sick to the point where I felt like I didn't know if I would survive it. You know, I was just at that point. And that moment took me right back to that hypervigilant fear of, I mean, you know, growing up, like there was drive-by shootings. I mean, people were, it was just gnarly, you know? And so to be able to go into that space of being on alert, you're so vigilant because you have that impending fear and to actually be able to move through it. And thank goodness that we're here, we're alive, we're, we're better now, we're on the mend. But that definitely made me see the world differently. And I know that that might be a little woo, but it really did change my perspective, especially with collectively what we're going through right now, just as far as what we need. And as far as, again, reprioritizing my life, like what is making me happy? I mean, when you get into those moments where, yeah, your livelihood is being threatened, you lose a job, you lose a relationship, there is loss. You reflect on, okay, what is important for me? What is it that I need? What is it that I want to do with my life? And you wake up with this newfound. For me, there is this moment of depression that follows from what I've read. And I think it's the same when you get out of a relationship or going through a transition in your life. But to me, I just, I knew if I set up camp there, I would live there because I've done that before. That's what happened when I was 15 yeah. years old and I started to get in trouble with the law and all of those things started to go south. And it made me realize, wow, this is, this is what happens when you don't have the support that you need. And I love that you said this earlier. You said you reach out to people, you garner this community. And that's the one thing that I was craving when I was in that low point. I knew that if I wanted to pull out of this this depression or this depressive state, I needed to reach out to people. I needed to sit outside. I needed to read. I needed to disconnect from social media. I needed to put things into my energy space that was going to feed me and was going to make me feel good. That was going to inspire me. I was watching funny comedy only, no news, reading books that were uplifting and inspiring, listening to music all day long. Like, just having that type of energy really helped pull me out of that space. And it made me realize that we need this. We need people like you. We need to be able to reach out and look for the things that are going to reinvigorate that energy back into our lives. Like the world is not a terrible place. We still have so many great things happening. So many beautiful people in the world doing really incredible work. You know, there's so much beauty still here. I mean, the, the ability for us to be more compassionate, more empathetic, I think is the key to getting to 
that new norm for us because a lot of people you're so stuck on when is it going to get back to normal it's never going back there it's never going to be normal quote unquote it's never going back we have forever been changed and for those people especially those of you listening to this podcast you've heard me talk about this before so much of these contemplative practices that we practice are to get us ready and prepared for moments like this right? I mean, this is why yeah. we do what we do is for these moments where we feel the heaviness, we have the litany of, you know, I've been calling it like tragedy porn constantly being given to us or fed to us that we have to be able to take the power back, take the power back, my friends, and say no. And to be able to put your energy and focus on the things that are going to uplift you and just to stay on brand to create that spark. Yeah, no, I, that I so agree with all of that. <laughs> this is an interview that. for you, by the way. I'm just like, how did this it's, happen? You know, I'm always like, it, it's a conversation. It's never an interview. <laughs> but as you're saying that, like two things popped into my head. One is the great yogic sage, Mr. Rogers, you know, who, who told us to find the helpers. It's straight out of scripture, yeah. basically. And then the other thing popped into my head, I think I posted this on like somewhere on social media not too long ago, but a couple of years back, I was having this conversation with Mark Nepo and this was in before times. And he said something to me and I just jotted down really quickly. And it was something like, we are addicted to the noise of everything falling apart. And now more than ever, you know, and it's not a call to be, to step out of reality. It's not a call to ignore hard truths that we need to all step into and, and address. You know, you can acknowledge those, but at the same time, create both healthy boundaries in what you let in and what you don't let in and also develop the practices that you were talking about that allow us to touch stone as much as we can in moments like these, you know, it's like there are two best times to develop those practices, right? One is years before you need it, you know, and the other is right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, that is, that is so true. And it's so good. God, you are going to have to come back, please. Please come back and see us. I, I want to be, yeah. be respectful of your time. The book is called Spark, Discover Your Unique Imprint for Work That Makes You Come Alive. If you're watching the video, I'm showing you the beautiful book here. I love the colors. I'm going through this process right now, by the way, with like cover artwork. So I, I just, I know how much work goes in and how much thought goes into all of the things. So I have a newfound appreciation for it. Before I ask you the final question, where can people go to connect with you or for more information? Yeah. So if you're curious about either the book or taking that Sparkotype assessment, if you go to sparkotype.com, it's S-P-A-R-K-E-T-Y-P.com. Even if you forget the, the E in the middle, which many people do, it'll still get you to the right place. Or the podcast, my podcast, Good Life Project, any one of those places. And I'm just, I'm at Jonathan Fields everywhere online. Um, I was sort of an, an early adopter. So I was able to grab my name in most platforms. So um, lucky. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much. We will put all of the links 
that Jonathan just mentioned in the show notes. So if you're watching the video, it'll be down in the description below. Or if you're listening to this on whatever platform you are, if you go to the info button, all of those links will be there. And also for the first 10 people that post this on Instagram, you will be getting a copy of Sparked. We like to Ooh. do this. This is <laughs> erratically awesome. loved. Yeah. So uh, don't forget to tag both myself at Rosie Acosta and Jonathan Fields, and we will send you a copy for free. So, okay. The final question is this. I created this podcast because I wanted to create a space for people to come to, to get inspired, to feel supported. And the whole idea is that we are radically loved and radically supported by God, universe, source, whatever higher power of your understanding, the universe works for us and not against us. So the final question to you is, how do you feel radically loved? Mm. In every way, by my wife and daughter, whose love I never question. There's never been a moment, a heartbeat, an instant in my life where I have felt any level of conditionality by my extended family, my mom, my sister, my dad, like everybody around me, by my friends. I am stunningly blessed to have just incredible, incredible relationships in my life with people who love me enough to hold me when I need to be held to hold me up, when I'm feeling down, to be brutally honest with me when I need to hear the truth and to do it all from a place, not of judgment or ill will, but of genuine desire to see me whole and moving through the world in a way that's really who I need to be. And so, yeah, when you ask me how am I radically loved, the only thing I can think of is in every possible way. And I'm stunningly blessed by that. Wow. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for just all of the work that you've done the last handful of years and for just continuing to create content and I want to call it a philosophy, but all of the work that you put into the world that you really utilize to uplift others, to inspire others, it is received. I mean, your work has inspired me so much and I can only imagine all the millions of people that have been in your community that feel that and now our community. So thank you so much for doing this, for being part of our community now. And we look so forward to having you on again. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Um, so thank you so much for inviting me. And yeah, it would be awesome. I would love to come back anytime it feels right. <laughs> Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I am so excited to continue to do this. Please share this with your friends. Email us, message us on Instagram at Rosie Acosta or on Twitter at Rosie Acosta. Subscribe on iTunes, write a review. We love doing this, so please help us continue to keep this podcast going. Thanks for listening.